So we are in week five of our series called Dig Deep. And what we've been doing, what we did the first few weeks, is we talked about some things. Uh, We started off week one talking about uh, the fact that we want to live lives that are built on the rock. And so we talked about that a little bit. What does a life look like that's built on the sand? What does a life look like that's built on the rock? And And then the second week, we talked about the idea that we have these narratives in our lives, and a lot of them are false. Uh, Some things we think about God, some things we think about ourselves, some things that we've been told since we were a little kid uh, that that have kind of stuck with us. And so what we've talked about was the idea of getting rid of those false narratives and replacing them with the narrative, the story that God has for us, that God would have for our lives. And uh, then we talked about the idea that we, that one of the false narratives is that, um, well, I can do this Christian walk, uh, or someone would say, uh, you might be able to do this Christian walk, but I can't. So we kind of, we talked about that. And then Bob talked about the idea that I'm broken, so I can't be used. That was last week, and we, we, we shattered that false narrative as well. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to start um, a nut, kind of shift gears and for the next eight weeks, we're going we're gonna to tackle an attribute of God. And then we're going to talk about how God's attribute might break yet another false narrative in our lives. And so this morning, the attribute of God that we're going to talk about is the fact that he's good. And um, what happened this week as I was going through this, I, I was faced with all the questions that you would be faced if you had to answer the, uh, the question, is God good? Because honestly, if you look around the world, if you look around maybe even in our neighborhoods, if you just open up a paper, in the back of your mind, don't you sometimes ask, where's God? Don't you sometimes ask, well, how come God allowed this? I don't watch the news and I don't read the newspaper because I've got enough drama in my life. My my life is the news. So I don't, I I don't, I just, it just stresses me out. I I don't know. I just feel stressed out when I, when I read this stuff. But I thought this week I would just open up, uh, get get online and kind of read what the top stories are. um, And, and man, I could just go right down the line and go, where was God there? Why did he let that happen? If I were God, I would have... If I were God, I don't know if that I would have. Have you ever been there? Have you ever struggled with those? You know, you, you guys are like, he's losing his faith right before our eyes, right? <laughs> I'm just being honest. As sometimes you look and you think, man, if he's all powerful, right? And we say that all the time, he can do anything. But that happened to that little girl or that happened to that family or that you kind of go, man, why, why, would he, why would he let that happen? So what happened uh, this week, which I can probably only think of one other time this has ever happened to me, um, I had a sermon all teed up, and at 3 o'clock this morning I woke up, and I threw my sermon in the trash, and I have a new sermon. (laughs) So... um, yeah, it's kind of weird, but uh, it, it went okay for service, so it, it, might, it might have been the Lord and not just uh, the pizza I had uh, the night before. I, I have a friend uh, who was a pastor, and he had a um, church that was doing pretty well. His family was doing well. They were looking at moving from their current building to a, a, a better building, and um, he'd been in ministry for about 10 years. Everything was going great. And um, he had a teenage, a uh, couple of teenagers. And anyone who's had teenagers, when the phone rings at night, you, and they're not home, you kind of get, I don't know if you do, but I get a little bit like, oh man, and if Lisa picks up, I'll be like, 
trying to eavesdrop on, on our conversation. She's like, get out of here, you know. But, um, and so uh, uh, he got, and you have about three calls you just don't want to get as a, as a parent of a teenager. And two of them involved the police. Uh, and, and, and this was one of them. This was a, the police call. And so uh, they said, um, is this your son? Uh, he's been arrested for stealing, uh, for selling drugs on campus. And, uh, and so uh, we have him. And so that night he got that call. And then the whole rest of that year was just hell for him of just trying to figure it all out. I mean, you can, you can imagine. And so um, they were going to make an example of him. And so they're going, they were going all, all the way uh, uh, with the full weight of the law. And that justice would be served to its fullest. But if he turned in the people that he bought the drugs from, he could lower a sentence. Anyone watch CSI or any of those shows? I mean, this is kind of how it works, right? The man just kind of keeping us down. Uh, anyway, so, um, and so he was faced with this thing. Now, the, the, the people he brought, bought the drugs from were really, really, really bad people. Not just because they sold drugs. They were really bad people. And so when he got arrested, they threatened the family and said, we're going to kill your family if you, if you tell them where you got the drugs. And so, uh, and so they were faced with this dilemma. They have a son. They don't want their son to go to prison for longer than he's going to have to go to prison. And they uh, also don't want to die. <laughs> and so it was just a big mess. And they ended up losing the church. And uh, the son went to jail. And they... Um, they had to move out of their house because um, they, the, these people knew where he lived and they moved to another place and he got a different job and all this kind of stuff. And you think, man, why to a pastor? I mean, why would that happen to a pastor? He was a faithful guy. His family was going, was going great. And now their lives are nothing like they were supposed to be when they first went into the ministry. And so as I was up this morning and I, I was wrestling with I, uh, solving this problem, which will never get solved, of how, where's God and how come a, 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 a good God uh, allows bad things to happen and all, all this kind of stuff, I just, formula, I just grabbed a bunch of these scriptures that I think helps me and hopefully it'll help you in this. And then hopefully at the end we'll have some narratives about God and some narratives about ourselves that we can take into this week. The first thing I want to do, I want, I want you to, if you have your Bibles, to open it to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read the entire Bible this morning. No. Um, <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, um, verse 1. It's kind of a famous verse. It says, in the beginning, uh, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. We're going to start in verse 3 because I want you to see a pattern that tees us up for this understanding of God's goodness. Okay. And so, in verse 3, it says this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the dry land, the, the, the dry ground land, which I think is a pretty good name, and gathered waters he called seas, also good. And God saw that it was good. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Verse 17. Or, uh, I'm sorry, that was verse 12. Yeah, verse 17. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night 
and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verse 21, so God created the great creatures of the sea and everything, uh, every living thing in which the waters, water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 25, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And verse 31, God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. What God had created was good was very good, was really, really good. As a matter of fact, I would submit to you that there's no way we can really comprehend how good it was in the Garden of Eden. And I know for a fact that we cannot comprehend how good God is. We have a good God. He's perfectly good. He's completely good. Everything about him is good. And you say, well, man, I, I, you know, I, I want to believe that. And I pray to a good God. And when we get all our connection cards, they're going to go in a box in the back. And we're going to take them. And we're going to read the prayer request. And then we're going to pray to that good God. But what, 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 what happens when it seems like he's not present? When, he's, when he feels absent? Well, you kind of know how the story goes. God created this great place and he tells Adam, look, you can go and, you know, work. I'll give you a purpose. You tend the, the garden. And it was, God created creative beings. I mean, we just saw the worship band, they're creative beings that were worshiping God. Imagine what it was like at the Garden of Eden. It's like a Legoland, just like go run wild, go create stuff. As a matter of fact, he told Adam and Eve, go, you know, create, if you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and so, so he says this to Adam. Uh, it says the um, the Lord took uh, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, uh, "You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Lots of trees, lots of fruit, any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it." you will certainly die. All these trees. Don't eat from one tree. Understand, when God created it the way it was supposed to be, there was only one rule. That's pretty easy. I mean, now you, you tend to think, can I have my glasses? You tend to think, um, thank you, uh, you tend to think of like, oh man, Christianity or following God, it's all these rules and everything. When, when, God, when it was the way a, a good God with his people in the perfect environment, it was one rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know this, spoiler alert, uh, they did and, uh, and kind of ruined everything. As a matter of fact, um, here's, what he, here's what he says to Eve after they eat of the fruit to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Th that actually happened, you know. I don't know if you know that. 
but it actually came to being, so, so I hear. Um, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. And all you wives are like, uh-uh, that didn't happen. And, uh, uh, and he will rule over you. And you're like, that happened, right? Okay. But what, what, what this language means, your desire will be for your husband, is that you will desire to control him, and he's going to desire to control you. And you're like, now that happened. You know, it's like, that's, that's a lot of our struggle in, in, in relationships. It's this desire to control, the desire to take our power and to abuse it, okay? And so that's what he gives Eve. You're going to have pain in childbearing and you're going to have relational conflict, all right? And we don't have to look very far to see that that has absolutely happened. Then here's what he says to Adam. He says, because you listened to your wife... He was very upset that Adam listened to his wife. I just thought I'd put that in yellow there. If just in case we... Okay, I'm sorry. I'll, uh, I'll fix it. Okay, there we go. All right, okay. Um, he, that isn't what we're going to focus on this week. When we do our marriage seminar, it, that's what we'll focus on. Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree, which, which, which I commanded you, uh, you must not eat from it. Listen, cursed is the ground because of you. Now think about this, nature, there was an impact on nature when our good God was sinned against. And so there was an impact on us as people, but there was an impact on the ground itself. Because of you, through painful toil, you will eat from it and uh, all the days of your life. And it goes on and says, uh, you know, you're going to get... Uh, thorns and thistles and all this kind of stuff. And anyone who's a gardener knows weeds don't ha- need any help at all. They, it, it, can't, you know, it doesn't rain at all. The weeds still come up. But it's like every condition has to be perfect to get a vegetable to grow. I, who knows what that's all about. But uh, it's from the fall. Now here, here's the thing I want us to understand about the fall. Because I think we miss it a little bit. I think I, I miss it a little bit. Who was sinned against God was a really, really good God. He is a really good and perfect God beyond our wildest comprehension. And so because of that, because he's a good God, he's also a just God. And justice had to happen. Or else he wouldn't be perfectly just. There had to be a payment. There had to be, just like my friend with his son... The, the, the authorities couldn't say, well, look, you know, I'm, I know you were selling drugs at the school and, you know, this happened on campus and all this kind of stuff. We'll just turn a blind eye. You and I, if we read that in the, in the newspaper, we would be, justice did not prevail. Like we, you know, that wasn't it. And we all have this sense of justice. Now, it's different when it comes to us, when it's us being justiced against. Uh, we, we tend to want to have leniency and all this kind of stuff. When it's someone else, it's like, man, throw the book at them. You know, this is, it, where would society go if we didn't do that? You know? and, and, so, and we've all have different ideas of what that means. But with a perfect God, with a good God sinned against, There needs to be justice. Now, what happens is we look at what happened here and we look at our broken world, our fallen world, and we ask the question, wow, wasn't that overkill? Didn't didn't you kind of go a little bit too far with that? I mean, they just ate some fruit. You know, it's not like, okay, now now they know about good and evil. You know, put some clothes on. There we go. We can kind of move on from there, which is what happened. 
But it's because we don't understand the enormity of the offense of who God is. And so now we're in a broken world. As a matter of fact, uh, Romans talks about this broken world and talks about creation and all, all these types of things. It says, for the uh, creation was subjected to frustration. Don't, don't, you, don't you sense that? Don't you sense a sense of frustration even in creation? So I told you I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning. I couldn't get to bed, so I went for a walk. And uh, I happened to be outside at 4 o'clock in the morning and uh, walking around our neighborhood. You know, I was waiting for someone to call the cops. Because um, I, I looked inside my car. It was parked on the sidewalk. And I looked inside my car, and then another car came. And then it's my own car. But I just felt guilty because it's like they're going to think I'm, I'm, I'm like trying to sneak in there. So then I made myself look guilty by like jumping back. And it was terrible. Anyway, I was super tired. Okay, it was 4 o'clock in the morning. So I, I walk around and there's this bird chirping in this tree. Like really obnoxious. It's dark out. I'm like, that bird, that's it. He, that bird is frustrated right now. It's like, I should not be up. It's four in the morning. I'm like, hey, I almost high-winged him there. i just like, hey, I'm with you. But, but as I was walking like, in our, in our um, um, neighborhood, contemplating these verses, I was, I was looking at creation, and it's, it, it, when you've paved over everything... And you've left these like little boxes for trees. That's a frustrated creation. Creation doesn't grow like that. You don't go to the forest and there's like a tree, like they're perfectly lined. You know, the trees start, if, isn't it awesome the way God created stuff? Just trees are shooting out of everything. You know, that's a non-frustrating, you know, we're just, it's frustrating. And he goes on. He says, not by its own choice, right? But by the will of the one who subjected it. Who's that? God. This is part of the payment for justice to be done for the offense of offending a great and good and awesome God in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You, got, you begin to get God's heart that God is not happy with this. God is not happy with a broken world. Even though justice is being done, this is not his plan A. God wished it didn't happen. But there's this sense of, you know, when we read about the tsunami or the hurricane or the earthquake, we, th we think to ourselves, couldn't God have done something? No. This is the sentence of sin. And so these things happen, and they're bad, and God mourns this loss. But he longs, just like we do, uh, to be brought into freedom for the children of God. And it goes on, it says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. This was 2,000 years ago, so much more now. Uh, right up to the present time, not only so, but we ourselves... Who, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Like even though we, ha we have this relationship with God, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And it goes on and it says, For in this uh, hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We're waiting for this sentence to be lived out. Now, when you think about this, 
Where's God? Where was my friend? What kind of dad was my friend to his son in jail? It was amazing to me is just how it never changed. The, the, the son's circumstances, he was in a dark and broken and horrible spot. And it broke my friend's heart to see him. But he kept seeing him. He'd go visit him, go visit him, go visit him as best he could. In that environment, he tried to make it better for his son. He tried to... He tried to uplift his spirits. He tried to say, look, we only got a little bit more time left, a little bit more time left, a little bit more time left. I, I think that is the heart of our heavenly father who is so good. That says justice had to come. But in the meantime, I want to have that relationship with you. We can make it as best as we possibly can. As a matter of fact, Paul kind of gets this. You can see, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. This, this is some verses back before the ones I just read. Um, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God uh, to be revealed. Man. It's hard though when you're living in the broken world to kind of fit that together. I mean, man, God's all powerful. Couldn't, couldn't he do anything? And this is where the false narratives begin. We start thinking God's judgment, which had to happen because there was an offense and justice had to come. We think that he's still doing that, that that's his primary purpose now is that look, I was a good God. I was perfect. Everything was awesome. You blew it. And so now I'm going to go around. I'm going to find out who's doing bad. And I'm going to keep, keep this going on. You know, we used to have a cat when I was uh, a little kid. And my mom, uh, the cat would do stuff. It would claw on the couch and do things like that. And so my mom gave me this job, which if you're 11, is the greatest job in the world. And that is I had a water bottle and, um, and uh, whenever the cat would do something bad, uh, my job was to spray the cat in the face, which is just fantastic. Anyway, um, so uh, not, not a huge cat fan. So, um, so, the, the, so what I would do is I'd just wait. And I'd just wait and wait. I'd see the cat going up, and it's going up to the couch, and I'm just like, oh, yes. Dear Lord, please let that cat try to scratch the thing. And I'd prime it in my hand, like, to make sure that, you know, because you want that first shot to, it's deadly, you know. And so um, I would wait, and right when that cat would get, I'd just, you know, and they'd take off, and, and I'd, you know, run in and all this. I was an evil kid, but, um, uh, but that's somehow how we think about God that way, in that false narrative. He was good. Everything was great. Now we're all sinners, and now he's just waiting with a, with a heavenly water bottle up on the throne. Just like going, oh, you know, you're, you know, ah, you know, my arm broke. Whatever, whatever, the, whatever your thing is. We get this sense as we're going through life, man, you know, and, and Bob talked about this so great last week. Get the podcast if you, if you haven't, if you didn't hear it. But we get this idea that when good things happen to us, God is now, okay, put the water bottle away, you know, and when bad things happen, it's, he's, you know, he's, he's got a, you know, super soaker or whatever. He's trying to, he's trying to get us. That's a false narrative. The correct narrative is we serve a good God who pursues us, who loves us. But in fact, we just happen to be in this broken sentence, if you will. Paul says it this way, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, right? And so 
Uh, so the section of scripture I was going to talk about uh, this morning um, was in John chapter 9. And I'm just going to touch on this a little bit because one of the false narratives we have is addressed by Jesus here. Of this understanding of who God is and, and, and what happens. And so what happened was Jesus was going along with the disciples and they see this guy who was born blind from birth. Okay, so he, he came out of the womb, he was blind. Okay, and so here's, here's what happens. Uh, as he went along... He saw a man born blind from birth, or man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is a common thing. I mean, we look at that when we, when we look at other people's kids, right? And they're, they're, you look at them and you're like, oof, man, the parents must have done something wrong or, you know, the, the evil kid or whatever. We look at our own kids and we're like, you know, give them a shot, you know, be patient with them. But when we look at someone else, we get that, we kind of have this narrative floating around that kind of bad things happen to, you know, should happen to bad people and good things should happen to good people. And now listen to what Jesus says. This is fascinating because it also gets to the question of, really, God, listen, check this out. He says, Neither this man uh, or his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now think about this, because this is what I thought about when I first saw this chapter. You think, oh, so he was born blind so that Jesus could do a miracle that he could see, and then that would be kind of cool. God's using this guy. I started thinking, man, that's kind of weird. Like imagine if I take one of my kids and I lock them up in the room or in a closet for 25 years of their life and I never let them out. And then at year 25, I'm like, look what I did for you. You're free. That's kind of weird. Right? It kind of seems like that's what Jesus is saying. Oh, no, no one sinned. We just wanted to kind of show off and show that we can heal people. Like, yeah. Listen, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus understands we are in a broken world. It's broke. He was going to be born blind because we're in a broken world. But even in the midst of brokenness, God is pursuing. He's going after. Oftentimes we'll break through that brokenness as best he can without messing up the justice part. He wants a relationship with us in the brokenness. So he says... He goes on, he says, it uh, happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can do work while I'm in the world. Now, what happens to this guy? Um, we don't have time to go into it uh, because I threw those notes in the trash. Uh, is um, he gets healed and like everyone's just badgering him. Like people are like, is that really him? Is that, you know, no, it looks like him. And he's like, no, it's me. Like I really was blind and now, you know, now I can see. And then the Pharisees come in and they're just a total wet blanket on the whole thing. As a matter of fact, their narrative of God is so rigid and so closed. They, they don't even believe he was born blind. It's just a weird verse. When you read it, it's like, they were like, yeah, they didn't believe he was born blind or healed. Like, so they go get his parents and they're, it's just all amped up. And Jesus is nowhere, kind of making this guy defend himself. And, and the guy has the answers that you and I would have if we were trying to defend God, which is what this guy was being asked to do. Defend God. He, we worked on the Sabbath. He healed you. But defend God. And here's, here's one of his answers. I don't know. <laughs> don't you ever feel that way? 
in this broken world when people are going, man, what, what, what's going on? You're just like, I, I, I don't know. All I can tell you is what happened to me. This is what happened. And that's what this guy did. He's like, man, he put some spit in some mud. And he's probably like going, you know, still trying to get out of his eyes. And then he told me to go wash in a pool. And I look at, like, get off me. I don't, I don't know. As a matter of fact, kind of his culminating statement is this. And, and uh, it's a famous part of scripture. He says, look, whether the guy's a sinner or what, all I can tell you is this. I was blind, and now I see. And I think that is the heart of what God wants to do in our broken world. He can't just stop it, because then justice wouldn't prevail. But he can come in the midst, and he can pursue us, and he can say, look, let me make this as good as I possibly can for you. Let's, let, don't, don't just sell out to this brokenness. Don't just try to do it on your own. Don't try to be, just go, well, if it's broken, I'm just going to go with the brokenness. No, fight against that. And so uh, what happens is they, they say to this, this guy who was healed, uh, um, they say to him, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Dude gets healed and then gets thrown out of the synagogue, right? But look at what they say. It's true. He was steeped in sin from birth. That's the true statement. You and I, congratulations. Like, wow, I'm so glad I came to church. You know, it's better because you're here. I can call you all sinners, right? Uh, You were steeped in sin at birth. And how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And when they threw him out of the synagogue, they threw him out of community, this is why the parents didn't want to talk to the Pharisees at all. Like, hey, he's of age. Talk to him. They just like threw their blind son under the bus. <laughs> I don't know. Don't, we still want to be in the synagogue. So now watch what happens. This is so key. Jesus finally shows up. Thanks, Jesus. I just got thrown a little, little late. You could have saved me from all this hassle. Jesus heard that the man had been thrown out. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Jesus is taking this blindness and he's beginning to shift the entire deal. See, what Jesus showed is that he can break the physical curse as well. But he's more interested in something else. And so the guy says, "Um, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I don't know why he didn't just say, I'm him. Like, well, I, you know, but anyway, you've seen him and he's the one speaking to you. you know, ta-da. Um, then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now watch this. Jesus says this. For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Jesus is no longer talking about physical blindness anymore. He's talking about spiritual blindness. Jesus came so that in this broken world, we won't pursue brokenness. We'll pursue life. Jesus came so that we won't be just stuck in this prison cell, but that we can, even in the midst of this, can continue our relationship with him, continue to deepen our relationship with him. And then the Pharisees, I just love this because it's just so awesome. I just like, you know, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? You know, it was awesome. Anyway, that's all I had for that. That was 4.30 in the morning that I saw that one. Uh, so, so here's the thing. So what's the, what's the heart of God? God is good. And we blew it. And we have this sentence. 
But here's the thing that God is longing for, that God is waiting for, as are we, as is creation. It's found in Revelation chapter 21. And John is at the island of Patmos. He was, uh, he was the one that wrote the book that we read about with the blind guy in it. Same, same guy. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You get the idea of this this just awesome, intimate relationship, the way things are supposed to be. It goes on. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen, listen to what he says. This is so... Yeah, I don't know what it was like for my friend when his son came out of jail. Or prison. I can't remember which one he was in. But you know, you go and you visit and you have this kind of relationship that's, that's growing. They, they grew in their relationship together, but there's just this constant reminder that it's not right. That there's something wrong. If you've ever visited anyone in jail, it's just a weird experience. And, and, and just the circumstances just make it feel heavy and, and, and weird. But I wonder when the doors opened or when, the, when he was free and his dad for the first time could just hold him. Ah, what that must have been like. This is exactly what John writes about. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things. Has passed away. Then there's just this. He who's seated on the throne. Cries out. I'm making everything new. Then he said write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. <laughs> like, like make, are you getting all this John? It's kind of, kind of cool. I'm making everything new. This is the heart of a good God. Who has not abandoned us. During this sentence. As a matter of fact, he pursues us. He makes every way to try to get to us. He, he, he wants us to stop and just have a visitation. He wants us to realize there's more. We're just in this world for a little bit. It's, we're going on to something better. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do a little exercise that might be hard for you. And like I said, from here on out, each week we're going to be doing um, some exercises. And um, one of the ways that we allow God to catch us when we're being pursued is to be still. In the Bible, there's a verse that says, be still and know that I am God. And man, if there's anything that shows us how broken we are, it's the pace at which we're going and which we feel like we just keep our head above water. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when we talked about not going all the way to the, to the edges, but to leave ourselves some margin. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take five minutes of silence. Now, for some of you, this is torture. <laughs> You're like, can I put on my iPhone? No, you can't put on your iPods or whatever. You get, it, this is silence. 
And I just, what's going to happen to your brain is if, it, if it's like what happens to mine, things are just going to start popping up into your mind. You're going to start thinking, oh man, I got, oh, that's right. I, I got to write that down. I got, a, I got a meeting tomorrow on Monday. I got to, you know, with this. Or you might remember, oh, you might hear someone cough or sneeze and go, what's their problem? Why can't they go outside? Or somebody's cell phone might go off and you're like, that's the worst ringtone I've ever heard. Whatever, your, your brain is just going to just, because this is what our brains do. And here's, here's, what, here's your exercise. We take those five minutes, and every time something comes in like that, we think about a goodness, something that the goodness of God might, would take care of that. So, for example, it might go something like this. Somebody sneezes, and then you go, man, well, what in the, oh, wait. And God created our bodies in a way. I mean, think about just the sneeze. It's just awesome. The way he created us. Even in a broken setting, our bodies operate pretty awesomely. You think about that meeting on Monday, tomorrow, and you go, oh, man, I got it. You know, God, your goodness, I have a job. I have a job. You're good. Your goodness is breaking through the brokenness. You think about something else, and you just kind of just go back to the goodness of God. Let, let the goodness of God break through the sentence. And then... Um, at the end of five minutes, uh, we'll come back up and uh, Audio and the worship team will come back up and sing a song for us. Um, but uh, I'll set the timer. Don't set the timer. Don't look at it. I promise I won't let it go more than five minutes, okay? Um, and, uh, but uh, let me pray for us and then we'll start. Lord God, <clears throat> we want to be quiet before you. We want to be caught we want to, in the midst of our broken place, uh, have your goodness break through to our hearts. Though we see in a mirror dimly, Lord, we want to see cl- as clearly as we possibly can. So we give you this time to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right. So uh, as Ajwa comes back up, who, who wanted more time? You can go ahead and raise your hand. It doesn't matter. Yeah? Who, who wanted less time? It's okay. You can show me. Who was just like, wow, I just, I don't, I don't know. See, through these exercises, you'll learn quite a bit about yourself. But let me just tell you this. This is how God wants to meet you every day. God wants to meet you like this every single day where you get away, you get out of your prison cell, you get disconnected, you get to him where you can just say, hey, I just, I just want your goodness to flow over me. I want to bring these things to you. I want to, this is the relationship. This is what he pursues you to do. Thank you.